Marte. Just like that. One nothing Diamondbacks. Don't change a thing on that bat. It's the sticker. Welcome to the Exit Velocity Baseball Podcast. My name is Brent. As always, I'm here with Zach. How we doing? I'm doing good, man. How's everything on your end? Good. A little chilly where I'm at, but it's supposed to warm up next week, so that'll be nice. Today we got Mike Farron on, voice of the Diamondbacks and MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. He's also the play-by-play guy for the All-Stars Futures game on Sirius XM. How are we doing this evening? I'm good, guys. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us. And I know with the D-backs, first off, we got to start by Starling Marte. That's unfortunate that his wife suddenly passed. I'm sure that you've heard that in the industry as well. Yeah, a uh, real stunner. Um, you know, you don't expect somebody who is uh, young to die, you know, just with no medical issues. But apparently she was uh, either getting read- ready to or had just gone into the operating room for ankle surgery and something happened. And we're not entirely sure what, but she suffered, it sounds like a massive heart attack and passed away. And, you know, the worst part, I mean, there's so many awful things about it. I mean, one that, you know, there's a, a woman in her late 20s and, mm-hmm. and you know, who passes away and, you know, Starling loses his wife. And, um, you know, I think that there's probably a sense, a little bit of being alone from your teammates too. you know, distanced from them. That's mm-hmm. a new group. You just got traded here. And there re- really is only other one other uh, Dominican player on the D-backs roster right now in Cattell Marte. And, but because everybody is you know, kind of banned from traveling, um, ordinarily the organization would have sent a huge group of people out there for the funeral yesterday. But um, unfortunately, they, they couldn't be there. And so there, there are a lot of people that are really thinking of him and his family right now because you're right. It's just, just a terrible tragedy. Yes, it is. Like you said, too, especially being alone. So our prayers and condolences go out to Starling Marte. But this evening we have you on the show to talk about the Diamondbacks. But first, a little bit about yourself. How did you get started in the radio industry that you have a lot of experience in? Yeah, well, it's, it, it makes it, I'm old now, I guess is what it is. I, you know, I started uh, working in radio in Dubuque, Iowa when I was in college. Um, I started working at a classic rock station and um, you know, radio is a little bit like, or at least it, it used to be a little bit like baseball and that you worked your way through the minor leagues and then got chances in bigger cities as you went along. And so I uh, spent a long time in Chicago working as a producer for WGN radio and then have been with Sirius uh, on their MLB channel back back when it was just XM radio. So I went there in, in 2007. So it's been almost 13 years that I've been there and I've been with the Diamondbacks now since 2016. Very nice. And I know our last guest we had on, his name's Yancey Eaton, and he used to mm-hmm. listen to a podcast you had back in the day, the Fringe Average podcast, which I've actually been listening to the past couple of days. And huh. oh my gosh, you guys have some great <laughs> content on there. I know you, the way it sounds, you loved Carlos Rodon and Xander Bogarts. And Bogarts turned out, and I know Jason Parks, the guy that you have on, he loved Javi Baez, and I know you were a Jeff Hoffman fan. Why did yeah. that end in 2014, or did you just go work somewhere somewhere else? Well, no, Jason got a job as a scout with the Cubs, and and so that's why he left, and why the why the the uh, podcast ended. And uh, it's funny now because he's the pro scouting director for the Diamondbacks, and we live about three miles apart, and so 
Um, <laughs> he's one of he's like a brother to me. He's one of my my absolute closest friends, and you know, like we're close enough that his his daughter named her stuffed dog after our dog. So like that's <laughs> we see <laughs> a fair amount of them. So uh, yeah, so Jason's a, a really uh, talented evaluator and teacher, and um, has you know gone on to, to good things here in Arizona. It was crazy going back and listening to some of those episodes. So it looked like you guys ended in 2014. And one of like the last episodes, you guys were talking about the 2014 draft. And you were comparing like the top three guys, Brady Aiken, Tyler Kolak, Carlos Rodon. And you were trying to compare Kolak and Aaron Nola. It was just... It was just crazy listening to that episode because a lot of those guys have just not panned out. And the one guy that you guys were talking about that you guys really liked out of that draft class was Aaron Nola, and he's really the only one yeah. that kind of did pan out. I mean, I don't think I don't think you can say that Rodon hasn't. I mean, he's you know he had Tommy John surgery, yeah, and so a couple he, injuries. He, you know, maybe he hasn't been you know the top of the rotation dude that that you know I thought he was going to be necessarily, but. Um, I think he's still a pretty darn good major league pitcher, but yeah, Nola has turned into a good one and, and Nola, you know, I think, you know, the competitiveness of him getting to know him and, and the people around the LSU program at that point, I got a pretty good sense for who he was, uh, as a person and a competitor. And I think that that helped to, to kind of lead to that, but no, yeah, Nola's had, a, a, I mean, a really great, and it's still only a start to his career. I mean, he's still pretty young. So, um, yeah, I think he's a little bit underappreciated almost. I think some degrees he's underappreciated. I think others, I think a lot of people like to put him in that kind of top of the rotation conversation. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure that he's that, but he's just a really damn good major league starter. And, and I think if I, and I don't remember entirely, but I would think that we probably had some concerns about Kolek coming out of there. We knew he threw really hard, um, but it seemed like that there were some concerns. I remember some concerns about him physically at the time you're going back a long way now. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Kolek yeah, but... has had Tommy John and thoracic outlet mm-hmm. surgery. So it's, it's yeah. been a tough go for him so far. And never in pro ball touched, you know, the velocity that he had when he was in the, in, in high school. So, and, and you see that a fair amount still. I mean, there was a kid maybe in the next draft, I'm trying to think it was 15 or 16 that, uh, maybe it was 16, Riley Pint, who the Rockies took, mm-hmm. who was throwing 98 miles an hour as a as a uh, high, schooler. A high schooler, as a junior. Mm-hmm. But he had real control problems. And, um, you know, that's kind of followed him into pro ball. Now, compare that to, like, Jared Kelly, who's in this draft, who, you know, looks like he can throw strikes at 98. And there's mm-hmm. a big difference between the two, I think. Yeah, the one guy that you guys pointed out that, I couldn't believe how accurate you were on was Nathan Avaldi. You guys pretty much said if he doesn't change that the way he pitches, he's going to get injured. And now here we are in 2020, two Tommy Johns later, and he's going to be a relief pitcher. It's just incredible. I just thought, found that one incredible. I was like, wow, that is something that you guys well, saw we, that early. Yeah, when we had a little bit of history on him, though, too, because he he had had a Tommy John surgery in high school. And so we knew that there were injury concerns there and, um, you know, it was a it was a little bit of a tough delivery for him, but but you know he's he's still a guy who has you know when he's been healthy has been an excellent pitcher, and um, you know whether it's been as a starter or a reliever, and, and most of his career has been as a starter. While he hasn't been durable, he certainly has been productive when he's been on the field. Yeah, I agree with that. So now we're going to dig into the Diamondbacks, who you see daily. Do you think this team could win ninety games in a hundred sixty-two game season? 
Yeah, I mean, I think internally they really felt like that was the case that they had a chance to be to be uh, you know one of those those uh, teams that was competing for a postseason berth in the National League. I mean, I think um, you know when you're in the same division as the Dodgers, it's real tough to say that you're going to go out and and you know guarantee you're going to win the division. I mean, they've won the last seven and. Um, they're still pretty deep and talented roster, but I think that they liked the, the strides that the team took last year, um, the additions that they made. You know, they added a lot of really solid regulars, upgraded the roster w- with, um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of just good quality major league players. And I think that they've got some good, you know, young players that you felt like were going to take another step forward. I mean, Cattell Marte obviously finished, you know, fourth in the NL MVP, and so. You got a guy who's a really, really talented player there to begin with, and then add into it Zach Gallon, who they got in the the trade from Miami at the trade deadline. And but I'll tell you what, I think Gallon is going to be really good. Like he's a, he's got a chance to be a very, very good major league starter. He's got four pitches, and he knows how to pitch. And I think you're going to see that walk rate uh, continue to go down, and um, him be able to control strike zone. Very, very competitive guy, and so. I think he's he's a a guy to be really excited about, and so they have the the kind of building blocks with those young potential stars, mm-hmm. um, with some you know solid veterans around them, and you know some unheralded guys like Nick Ahmed, who's won the last two National League Gold Glove awards, but has turned into a you know a pretty capable offensive player too. Um, you know, and if David Peralta is healthy, it gives them a little bit more lineup depth. So there's, there's a lot to like about what they had. And if you get into the, you know, kind of the soft science side of it, they have a lot of really strong makeup players. And I think that that's really important too. And I think that that's one of the, I think that's going to be one of the hallmarks of Mike Hazen's tenure in, in Arizona is it's not just that they're going to be looking for talented guys, but they're going to be looking guys that are highly competitive highly motivated workers um, who build a good culture and and demand um, mm-hmm. of their teammates the most uh, on a daily basis. And I get that that's a lot tougher to quantify, but it, but that that's one of the things that I think is really impressive about this group. Yeah, I know you guys got a lot of veteran experience. And the one guy that I feel like people have not talked enough about, maybe outside Arizona, is the Cole Calhoun signing yeah. that two-year deal. He had a career-high 33 home runs last season. I think if David Peralta gets injured and he's been last season, he's been struggling. I think Cole Calhoun could slide up in that top part of the order and make a big impact on and off the field. Yeah. And I think, you know, Calhoun wanted to be here. I mean, he's from, you know, Buckeye, Arizona, which is on the West Valley and, and, um, you know, played collegiately at Arizona State after you know, he went to Yavapai uh, Junior College, which is up in Prescott. So a lot of ties to the community, build a home in Tempe. And you're right. I mean, I think he's one of those guys that like Angels fans loved him because of the way he plays. And I think you're going to see that, too, from Diamondbacks fans. I mean, he's a real, you know, spark plug, fire plug player. Uh, grinder, you know, which I think the term gets thrown around a little bit, you know, cavalierly, but um, I think that's, you know, really important for the way he plays the game. And he plays very hard all the time. He's a good defender still. Um, you're right. He he showed big power last year, but I think that the power probably is more like 20 homer power going forward, mm-hmm. but, but just a really solid all round player who's going to bring energy to the ballpark every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zach, do you think that this team could win 90 games? And do you like the new additions that they have on their team? 
definitely like the new additions that they made. I think this team is capable of uh, being a playoff contender. Uh, I think a wild card berth is definitely not out of the question for them. I agree with you. I love the Cole Calhoun signing. I mean, this is a guy that's going to play at a minimum 150 games for you. He's a, like, like Mike said, he's a grinder out there and you got to love the Starling Marte addition, bring some speed to the top of the order. And with the Ketel Marte breakout and Escobar, I mean, it's, it's a very good uh, top of the order here between both Marte's Escobar, Peralta, if he's healthy we saw a big breakout from christian walker last year gotta like that and nick ahmed just solid defensively up the middle and uh, i really like the madison bumgarner signing i mean they bring a veteran mm-hmm. pitcher who's a workhorse who's got a ton of playoff experience and you got a relatively young rotation between robbie ray luke weaver zach gallon so i think he's going to really help those young guys out and i agree with mike here i think zach gallon is a star in the making he's got a fantastic pitch mix and great control and i, I think that was a fantastic trade for them and i think gallon is going to take a huge stride this year. I, I, I'm expecting like a Shane Bieber, Jack Flaherty, Jack Flaherty-esque uh, growth this year from him. I think he could be a stud in the making. So I'm excited for Gallon. And I, I'm curious, Mike, I mean, what were your thoughts at the time um, between that Gallon and Jazz Chisholm trade? Because I feel like there were some mixed reactions because uh, Gallon was kind of, he wasn't a super top prospect, wasn't relatively known outside of, uh, the Marlins organization. So I'm curious what your thoughts were initially when that trade went down. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know his his prospect evolution is really interesting to follow. Even going back to the Cardinals organization, because remember he was part of the Marcelo Zuna trade, and yep. and the feeling was was that yeah, you know, this guy's got a chance to be a pretty solid starter, and then he just continued to refine his approach. And you know, in those limited number of starts that he had for Miami at the big league level, the results were pretty good, and the stuff matched it. Um, when I got wind that that trade was going down. I was in New York and I had heard, we had just been in Miami and I had heard that they had had some interest in Trevor Richards. Mm -hmm. And, and so like I started texting people and I was like, what do you got? Like, is there something going on with, with, you know, jazz and Richards and said, it's not with Richards. And I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. And I was like, Oh, I wonder if it's Caleb Smith or yes. I never even thought that gallon would be available. I knew he was well liked by, by the the diamondbacks organization, but I just didn't view him as a guy that was going to be available. So when they made the trade, I was pretty excited. And and generally I'm not always a big fan of trading position players for pitchers, but um, you know, Chisholm is a high risk player because of the swing and miss in his game. He's a, mm-hmm. a great kid. I love jazz and he's, got a chance to be you know an impactful offensive player but there's risk there and they didn't have anybody in the high minors or right to the big league level that that you know really profiled the way that gallon does so you know adding him and then later in the day getting corbin martin and the zach grinke trade i mean they really re um reconfigured the upper level of their their you know minor league system slash the the you know the youth and their rotation and you know, Martin, I would assume, is going to be ready for big league action at some point, maybe in July or, or so, as he continues his recovery from Tommy John surgery. But um, that was a pretty significant ad that day, too. So it was I, I mean, I was pretty excited about it just because I didn't think Gallon would be a guy that would be available. Yeah, it really just came out of nowhere. But it was mm-hmm. quite quite the day for the Diamondbacks, for sure. I was going to say, too, with this rotation and bullpen, besides Gallon and Mad Bum, who, I mean, Bumgarner's been one of the most reliable pitchers the past yeah. eight years in the playoffs, leader. Who do you have your eye on in this rotation or bullpen that you think could have a huge impact this season? 
Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think Luke Weaver is a guy that I really look at. And, you know, he was so good before he hurt his arm last year that if he's able to get back to that, you know, he had a mid-90s fastball and really good changeup. And there were there were a lot of similarities between him, I thought, and Chris Paddock last year. They squared off head-to-head. Now, Weaver doesn't have the command that Paddock does. Paddock could Paddock can throw a 97-mile-an-hour fastball wherever he wants to. I mean, wherever he wants to. His command is really stupid. But just mm-hmm. in terms of having a good fastball change of mix, and and Weaver's third and fourth pitch are ahead of where Paddock's were at least a year ago. Mm-hmm. So he was a guy that I was really excited about You know, coming into this year. If he can stay healthy and if he can build on that, I think that's a guy that I would be excited about. Uh, in the bullpen, you know, one guy that I think could have an impact as a reliever is a guy who started most of last year, and that's Taylor Clark. Um, Clark, going back to his college days at, at at first at Towson and then at College of Charleston, was one of the top strikeout guys in, in the NCAA. In fact, I think he led Division One in strikeouts his junior mm-hmm. year at Charleston. And it's a good fastball-slider combination, and it's the kind that you see a power right-hander have success with out of the bullpen. Um, and so I could see him sliding into a role into like the seventh or eighth inning ahead of Archie Bradley and giving them another option that, that, you know, has some strikeout stuff. I really think his stuff would tick up out of the pen. And so he's a guy that I'm, I'm, uh, you know, pretty optimistic on that, you know, when, when they make that decision and, and who knows, it may not be, you know, right away, it may not even be this year that he's not a starter anymore and that he would go to the bullpen that I think that that's, that's a role that he could really excel in. Yeah, I could see that as well. I know Archie Bradley kind of made it, made himself a closer last year, having a good stretch, but going back to the lineup, one guy that I feel like he's one of the more interesting players in baseball because he came out of nowhere pretty much. And that's Kettle Marte. Do you think he can keep up that production of last season, him and Eduardo Escobar and Christian Walker in the infield? I mean, I think it's it's hard to say that Cattell Marte is going to be, you know, a seven-win player over a 162-game season because those seasons are just so rare. But do I think he's an all-star caliber performer? Yeah. I mean, I think from the, from the time the Diamondbacks got him, Torrey Lovello said, I think he's going to win a batting title someday. And what did he finish second last year, right? Just, to, just percentage points behind Yelich. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's added strength and he has altered his approach to the point where he is looking to drive the ball from both sides of the plate. He's not this wiry little kid that he was in the Mariners organization anymore. He's strong and he's built more like an NFL running back. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a lot of things that are really exciting about him. I absolutely think that he is a star player. And I think moving him to second base, and he's a tremendous defender there. I think he and Nick Ahmed together give – uh, give them as good a defensive tandem up the middle as there is in the majors. Now on the corners, you know, I think it's, it's fair to still view Christian Walker with some skepticism. I think even Christian would, would uh, understand that. I mean, he's had to earn everything and he's got a chip on his shoulder for it, but he's an extremely cerebral hitter. And there was some encouraging stuff in the second half last year that while the power numbers were down, the walk rate was way up and the swing and miss went way down. Um, and so, you know, you're hoping you can build off that. And, and Eddie Escobar is just, I think, a really solid pro. Doubles turned into homers last year, probably mm-hmm. in part because of the baseball. But um, he's legitimately a 20 to 25 homer guy with, you know, with a threat from both sides of the plate and a really a solid, solid average defender at third. Um, and an important guy in that clubhouse, too. He's one of the most uh, joyful personalities that you'll ever meet. 
um, you know, this guy came from from not just nothing, but just like like less than nothing, um, and really was not very well regarded when when the White Sox signed him. In fact, he nearly got released out of the rookie leagues. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if not for Ozzie Guillen, you know, stumping for him, I don't know that Eduardo Escobar ends up having a big league career. But he's one of the most popular teammates in there too. So. I think that they're they're well positioned to have a, a solid a solid production out of their their infield this year. Zach, what do you think? You think Kettle Marte can keep this up? Yeah, I agree with Mike here. I mean, I I don't think Marte is that seven win player, not the MVP candidate every year, but I do think he's an All Star caliber player. And, and like you were saying, I mean, he really beefed up. Uh, he was not this type of player in Seattle, just a scrawny middle infielder type guy, and he really changed his career trajectory here. So hopefully he kind of remains on the same path as last year, and hopefully it's not just a, a benefactor of the juice ball. But I definitely like Marte moving forward. And another guy that I, I like out of the bullpen this year for them is is Kevin Ginkle. I think he's got some some filthy stuff. He's got a, a nice 27% K rate. Uh, he's got a filthy slider, 45% whiff rate on the slider. And if he can develop a third pitch, that change up, I mean, he could be an elite reliever. If Archie Bradley does struggle, which we've kind of seen in the past here and there, he's got some rough stretches. Maybe Ginkle kind of steps into that closer role. But uh, between Archie Bradley and Ginkle and, and Chafin and some of these other guys, um, they they have a, a, a nice core uh, core of relievers over there. So I definitely see some improvement in that area this year as well. And going on to their farm system, I know you've done a lot of prospect stuff in your past. Do you think this is a top 10 farm system in your eyes? Yeah, I think it's probably closer to 10 than it is to one um mm-hmm. right now but i think it's it's deep and it's a it's a pretty impressive turn that they've been able to do that so quickly i mean the fact that they had you know bazillion picks last year certainly helped but um you know trading uh malone and pagaro to to pittsburgh and i really like pagaro over pagaro i think i mean there's there's boomer bust potential with him but he, he hits the ball hard. He's got a good arm. He's a lively shortstop. I thought that was a really nice pickup in that deal for the Pirates. Um, I think you know that that weakened the system some, but for the right reasons. And that you add a you know a a, a star level player in Starling Marte to play center field. You know, in, mm-hmm. in what was a pretty weak center field market. So so yeah. So I think it's probably you know I think it's probably closer to ten. But I think that they have better depth than they have in a long time. And I think you're going to see guys like. You know, like if Corbin Martin is healthy, I think he's got a chance to be able to have a potential impact. I think Dalton Varsho is going to be a very good player. I think the upside on Christian Robinson is such that um, if he's able to put it all together like that, that's a potential star. But there's a lot that that still needs to go into him. um, The one thing he has going for him is that he's extremely bright and makes adjustments very, very quickly. Um, so hopefully that that portends good things. But yeah, I think that their their system is in, in in a lot better shape than it has been in any of the what five seasons that I've been here. I would agree with that as well. Digging deeper into your farm system besides your elite prospects like Christian Thomas and Alec Thomas, Christian Robinson and Alec Thomas, who do you think outside maybe the top ten that you could see making an impact in the big leagues? For impact, it's tough to say. I mean, I, I don't generally think that you're going to find much impact from guys in that that 10 to 15 range. But in terms of being solid contributors, I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I, Andy Young's an interesting one who, you know, is a right-handed hitter that they got in the Paul Goldschmidt deal. Um, 
Young had a little bit of problem with swing and miss last season, uh, and that was kind of unique, but he's got some power. Um, you know, he's probably a below average defender in most spots, but he can play a bunch of different positions and probably settles into a super utility role. I don't think Taven Smith is in the top 10 anymore. And very mm-hmm. quietly, you know, this is a guy that was the number seven overall pick in the, in the, uh, what the 17 draft Smith had a great second half in the Sally league. I mean, he had an OPS near a thousand, um, and really made some adjustments to his approach to get into a position. He's always been good at getting into good counts. But he hasn't always been good at driving the ball in those counts. And he started to do that. And I don't know that he's going to be your traditional, you know, masher, home run hitter, first baseman. But I could see him being a guy that, you know, has a lot of doubles uh, and gets on base and, you know, is a pretty solid average regular. So I think that's another guy that's that's, you know, further down that list that I think, you know, might get get uh, a little bit uh, more attention. And the reports I got on Levi Kelly last year, who was in Kane County, I mean, he's a ways off, but. Um, you know, he's got a chance to be, be a, a solid starter. He and Matt Tabor were, were both in the Midwest League last year, and both of them have uh, decent futures. But I think Kelly's upside might be a little bit higher. I think that's another guy to, to watch for as well. Okay, very nice. I feel like one guy that's been in your system for a while, too, is C.J. Crone's little brother, Kevin Crone. Yeah. He, he put <laughs> it all together little. last season. <laughs> yeah, Younger, he's 6'5". five. <laughs> He is man mountain Dean. <laughs> yeah, He's already 27 years old, which is yeah. crazy. I feel like we've, he's been with in that system for a while now. Well, he's been famous for a long time. You know, no prep hitter has more home runs in Arizona high school history than Kevin Crone. And he was a third round draft pick out of high school that, and didn't sign at the Mariners went to TCU and had a really bizarre career there. He had a, a very good freshman year. And in the sophomore season was the year they changed the, the baseballs. And he hit one home run. And he had solid junior. And then senior year was a senior sign. And you're right. It's taken him a while to get to, that, to the big leagues and to be able to stick. Now, I think that there's even some internal questions as to you know, whether or not he's capable of making the adjustments. But... Uh, to be a productive big league hitter, but the power is really legit. I mean, it, it's the easily the, the best raw power in the organization. And if he is better at, you know, adjusting to breaking balls and off speed, um, you know, I think that he's a guy that could do damage probably more towards the bottom of the lineup as a first baseman than your, your, you know, middle of the order force. But um, man, that power is really, really loud. And if he can find a way to tap into it, and I, I do feel like, you know, right, right, um, power hitters tend to take a little bit longer to develop. Um, I'd like to see, you know, I'm curious to see what would happen if he got more regular at bats, um, mm-hmm. because there, there, there is, he has a, a carrying tool that not a lot of other people have. Yeah, yeah. Joey Gallo type, possibly, if he could just figure it out. But Zach, who have you, who do you have your eyes on in this system? Yeah, I mean, Crone is a great name. I was going to say, he just he really doesn't have much more to prove over at AAA. Uh, you would think that if the Universal DH is going to be implemented, which it sounds mm-hmm. like it would be, do you think he would be one of the key benefactors of, of that taking over? Yeah, I mean, I think there would be there would be a chance for some plate appearances for him in that. I think Jake Lamb is probably the biggest benefactor mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Lamb's a former all-star and, you know, he was just starting to really get into the swing of things in spring training. And I think, 
you know, based on Jake's track record, injuries have really derailed him the last two years. I think he would get the bulk of the bats against right-handed uh, pitching there. But I think Crone's going to have some opportunities as well, I mean, especially against lefties. Yeah, I could definitely see some type of platoon between Crone and Jake Lamb for sure at DH. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with uh, with Christian Robinson. I think he could be a superstar in the making if he can just kind of put everything together. He, he kind of reminds me of a few former Diamondbacks top guys uh, like Justin Upton and Chris Young who had all the tools to become superstars and maybe they just didn't quite get to that level. So we'll see if Robinson can kind of reach that potential. Um, I really like Blake Walston, the first-round pick yeah. from last year. Still a young kid filling out, still going to keep growing and get stronger and probably get towards, I think right now he's right, right around the low 90s fastball, but he hopefully once he beefs up a little bit, mid-90s type guy with a four-pitch mix and a filthy curveball. Um, do you think he's got a, a big chance to succeed in this organization, Blake Walton? Yeah, I think he's a good name, and I think it was pretty impressive that I think his first like three or four outings in Hillsboro last year, which is a pretty advanced level for a high schooler, especially one that didn't necessarily face the same level of competition that that you know some of the the frequent you know uh, showcase kids do. Um, the fact that he went to Hillsboro and I think his first four outings he didn't walk anybody. Um, and that really stood out to me. Yeah, I, I think Walston is, is, has a chance to be really, really good. I know they got in early to see him last year. He was, he was kind of a guy that was moving up draft boards late. Um, and I think because they had the money to be able to, to, to play with because they had so many picks, I think they have the second largest pool last year. I think it's a big reason why they were able to add him and then Brennan Malone, who they, they subsequently traded in the, in the Marte deal. So, um, yeah, Walston's a guy definitely to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also like the other guy, Geraldo Perdoma, over oh, there. Yeah. I mean, he the past two out of the past three seasons, he's walked more than he struck out, which is yeah. very rare these days. OBP consistently around four hundred. Do you see him as a long term middle field, middle infield option for yeah, the D-backs? It, it's a really good question because I think there there I, I can see a path where he's a really solid shortstop with high on base skills. Um, you know, hitting more towards the bottom of the lineup. You know, he, he makes consistent contact, but he's not quite as strong yet as I think he's going to get. I think the other thing is you could see the body filling out and him having to move off the position, but then he might become more of an offensive force. And um, he is a really good worker. I know Nick Ahmed was really impressed with Perdomo's work ethic in spring training. And Nick Ahmed has one of the strongest work ethics yeah. of any player I've ever been around. Um, and he was really impressed with how hard Perdomo was working to get better. His command of the strike zone is elite, as you pointed out. Um, and yeah, he's kind of an interesting guy because I think I can see him being, you know, less star and more solid. But I think mm-hmm. if there's, you know, if that he gets a little bit stronger and he starts making harder, consistent contact, then, you know, who knows? I mean, I think, mm-hmm. I think in terms of offensive ceiling, he's probably a little bit further back than guys like Varsho and, um, you know, Robinson ceiling is pretty high, although it, there's a lot of risk there. You know, the guy who's probably the best bet to be an impactful offensive player in the organization, I think is Corbin Carroll, who's the first rounder last year. Um, mm-hmm. That guy's get like, he's got the Jacoby Ellsbury starter kit. And, mm-hmm. and I think he's got, he's got a really good motor on him too. So um, like, I think those guys probably rank ahead of him in terms of impact. But I think Perdomo, based on the fact that he, you know, if he stays at shortstop, I think he's going to be a very, very valuable player. 
All right, Mike, before we let you go this evening, what is some of your favorite memories or calls you've had over the years? Oh, geez. I, you know, I, I was just thinking about this because somebody wrote an article about these things the other day, and I don't know that I've had one that stands out to me as being the most memorable. I'm trying to think if there was one. So Futures game in D.C. a few years ago, Pete Alonzo hit a ball uh, mm-hmm. with like a launch angle of like 50 degrees. <laughs> that one stands out to me because it like it went so high in the air and then like landed on the concourse and left. Like that was stupid. It was a bomb. Uh, yeah. Oh my god, it was ridiculous. That game was ridiculous. Anyway, they were they were using the Titleist that day. Um, so that one stands out. Um, you know, there've been a couple of extra inning wins. Uh, there was one in 18 in San Diego that that was a favorite of mine. I get to call Edinson Volquez as no hitter. And that was against the Diamondbacks. That was pretty cool though. Especially when you think, you know, it was on Jordano Ventura's birthday and he was extremely close to Ventura. Ventura had passed away that spring. Um, so like all the other, you know, the, the kind of the tingly moments around it, I think was pretty interesting. And I, I've known Eddie for a long time and he's just one of the nicest people in baseball. So, um, so that those are probably the ones that stand out the most to me. That Alonzo home run, that whole game was just bananas. Um, Luis Alexander Basabe, the White Sox center field prospect, hit a home run to straightaway center field on a 102 mile an hour fastball from Hunter Green. <laughs> so, yeah, that is crazy. Stupid game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like fun. All right, Mike, we appreciate you joining the show this evening and you have a great night. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Take care, guys.